Godly people are grateful people, and grateful people express their attitude. Listen in as Pastor Chadwick leads us in a weekend of thanksgiving. The book of Luke is a wonderful passage or a wonderful book of the Bible. The author is uh, the physician Luke. He was not an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he was most certainly a follower of Jesus Christ. Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He wrote more words in the New Testament than anybody else wrote, including the Apostle Paul. Luke wrote more words than the Apostle Paul. He is the, the uh, as far as quantity goes, he, he is the largest writer or contributor to the New Testament. And he writes in this passage about a thankful heart. I don't know about you, but I find myself at times finding difficulty to be thankful. Thankfulness being a challenge of mine. I read this story this week of a Scottish pastor named Alexander Wyatt who was known for his encouraging public prayers to the church. And and back in that day, the pastors would pray a pastoral prayer uh, and um, it was it was awesome, and they would often pray their prayers for three, five, sometimes seven, even ten to eleven minutes would be the length of the pastoral prayer. It was like a a prayer sermon almost, and they would pray these prayers and and wonderful prayers. And we probably need, actually need to do more of that in our day. Well, one Sunday morning in Scotland, it was a particularly dreary day. It was, and they have many of them, but this one stood out as being most difficult. And it'd been a difficult season of ministry and life for Pastor Wyatt. And then the day comes and, and it's a bad day. And as he walks into church, um, some of the men of the church were kind of giving their pastor a good-natured hard time like our guys did, have done. Even today, during the 1030 service, some of our ushers sent me a link to the sermon for today. Like, you, you might need this. You say, how do you feel about that? Well, we're praying for them, and so praying for them. I thought it was hilarious. I thought they're stupid, but it's hilarious. That's the relationship pastors ought to have with, the, with people in their church. It's just fun. It's encouraging. And so some people in the church said to Pastor Wyatt, said of Pastor Wyatt, they said, certainly there's nothing encouraging that he'll be able to find from today's service, nothing, no way to encourage us in the prayer as he is well known to do. There's no way he'll be able to do any of that. And this was Pastor Wyatt's prayer or the opening part of his prayer. We thank thee, O God, that not every day is like this one. He was a man capable of finding gratitude in every situation. Luke chapter 17 begins with a miracle story. It's, a, it's an account, 17 to 19, that is unique to the gospel of Luke. And it, and it draws attention again to the journey that Jesus is on from Galilee to Samaria. There are four, uh, or there are five miracles on his journey. This is the fourth one. The first one is found in Luke eleven fourteen. Second, Luke thirteen ten to fourteen. Um, the third one in Luke fourteen one to four. This is the fourth, and then the fifth miracle journey is found in eighteen thirty five to forty three. Jesus is moving between east and west between uh, Samaria and Galilee up on the northern border if you have a, a, a map in the back of your Bible if you look at, at a map of Israel about two-thirds of the way up of Israel would be the borderline between Galilee and Samaria and Jesus is moving along that border and he is working with a variety of people both in Galilee and in Samaria. There's a man in our account today, and he is the key figure in our account, and it's a, an account filled because of this man filled with a, what we would call biblical tension. It's filled with biblical tension because this man was leprous, and he was also a Samaritan. Now, leprosy, if you don't know what it is, it's often called Hansen's disease, is a progressive infectious disease caused by a bacteria that attacks the skin, it attacks the flesh, it attacks the nerves. It's characterized by nodules that grow on the ends of the fingers or the toes, ulcers, white scaly scabs, and if not treated, it will waste away the muscles, cause deformation, it will cause 
uh, mutilation of the skin, and eventually it will cause a total loss of sensation, and it's very contagious. It's contagious. Dr. Paul Brand, who was for years considered to be the foremost authority on leprosy, and he actually ran and was head and director of the last leprosy colony, which is still active in Louisiana to this day. Dr. Paul Brand was a godly missionary doctor, grew up the son of missionaries in India. He's a, he's a fantastic doctor. One of my favorite books, really every book that he wrote, I love to read. And he wrote a book entitled The Gift of Pain. And in the book, The Gift of Pain, he tells the story of being in Africa at a very impoverished village in a very impoverished nation. And he's um, working with and helping people that have leprosy, trying to provide care. Really, he's an orthopedic surgeon focusing on leprosy, so he's performing quite a few amputations of fingers and toes and things such as this, and he's, he's in the medical tent uh, on this medical mission trip, and he's, he's ministering to somebody and he's serving somebody when some aid workers rush in and, and they call for his attention. They say, Dr. Brand, we, we need you right away. There's a crisis moment that is going on. We need you to come and come quickly. And so he dropped what he was doing and he got up and he, he left the, the patient he was working with in the care of a nurse. And, and he runs out to uh, the entrance to the village. And there had been an old man that had walked from his village a couple of miles away to the village where. Dr. Brand was performing the medical ministry, if you will. And along the way, this leprous man was walking and he had, unbeknownst to himself, he had broken his ankle. And he just kept walking on his broken ankle, but because he couldn't feel pain, he just kept walking and walking and walking on his ankle. And by the time that he got to the village where Dr. Brand was at, he had, his tibia and fibia, fibia had worked their way through the skin. He was bleeding everywhere, and he was literally just walking like you and I would walk without any pain. He was walking on the tibia and the fibia as he walked into the village. They, they got him. They threw him on a stretcher. They began to perform critical care, and uh, they were able to amputate the man's leg. But that's, the, that's, the, that's an extreme case, no doubt, of leprosy, but that's the end state of leprosy as a condition like that. I read several stories in his book of people who would literally just rub their noses and because they never, they couldn't feel the nerves in their nose, they would actually rub their noses off of their face. You can read uh, pictures are replete on the internet with things like that. Dr. Brand's book is a, if you're, if you like reading fun stuff like that, um, it's for you. It's a great one. It's a great book of faith and a testimony of the goodness of God, I promise. I promise. In Jesus' day, lepers were culturally isolated. Whenever they came around people, they were expected to shout, unclean, unclean. When they entered into a city, people were to stay between six and a hundred feet away from them, depending on the direction of the wind. They were secluded from society. They were ostracized from their family in, heartbreaking, in a heartbreaking way, and they were never touched by human hands. Matter of fact, Leviticus chapter 13, 45 gives some biblical direction to how God wanted the children of Israel to treat lepers. And the leper, the Bible says, in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. A leper was judged to be dead, the living dead or the walking dead. A leper had to wear a black garment that had been rent so that he could be recognized as being from the dead. Leprosy was always a picture of sin in the Bible, though not every leprous person, no doubt, was, was there because of his sin. Uh, but leprosy is always in the Bible a picture of sin. A leper was an outcast, totally ostracized from society in heaven and in earth. He was thought to be polluted and curable by any human means whatsoever. Not only was the man in our, the man in our account a leper, he was also a Samaritan. 
Samaritans were hated by the Jews because of their religious defection and for being half Jew and half Gentile. This Samaritan man is with a group in verse number 11 where the scripture says, and it came to pass, he went to Jerusalem and, and talking about Jesus, that he passed through the midst of a Samaritan village. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. The Samaritan man is with a group, we believe, it seems from the context, of nine Jewish men and the Samaritan. Though we could not be definitive on the number of breakdown, but it seems to be that way because he seems to be the one lone Samaritan who is called out, though it might not always be that way. Their friends and family, the Samaritans and the Jews' friends, all of them that had leprosy, their friends and family probably provided food for them and they would, they would drop the food at a certain drop zone and, and they would take food and drop it there and, and the men would come and, and they would gather the food so that they could survive and maybe they would see a wife and a child and they would see them about 100 feet away or some distance like that, 20, 30, 40 feet away. And in my mind, no doubt, because of the distance and knowing that they could never touch one another again, knowing they could never be in a close proximity again. They would, they would weep. They would have tears. There would be grave sadness. Maybe, maybe a mother left some food for her son, and she would not be allowed to touch her son. She would not be allowed to get within six feet under the best conditions, within six feet of her son. I mean, there, there was a, a, a great distance that had to be kept for obvious reasons. They never got close to anyone. And this would be their way of life until leprosy or some other disease would finally end their life. Jesus was going through the northern part of Samaria, and verse number 12, and as he enters into a certain village, 10 men are there and they lift up their voice when they see Jesus. And, and they said this in verse number 13, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, the word master is an interesting word. It's not the word rabbi for teacher, but it's the word epistasis, which means chief or commander or overseer or the one who has the power to meet needs. Now, I want you to think for a minute that they understood who Jesus was. He's the chief. He's the commander, he's the overseer, but to them, no doubt, he was the one who has the power to meet their needs. I am thankful today, let me just stop and say, I'm thankful today that Christ alone has the power to meet my needs. I'm thankful he has the power to meet your needs. I don't know what need you came in here with. I, I don't know what issue you came into Canyon Ridge Baptist Church with. I, I have no idea. It might be a health need. It might be a spiritual need. It might be a financial need. It might be an emotional need. Whatever your need may be, can I just tell you with frankness and clarity based on the authority of the word of God that Jesus Christ alone has the power to meet your needs. The devil, the world, the flesh, they not only don't want to meet your needs, they want to make your needs worse. They want to degrade you. They want to demean you. They want to destroy you. They want to make you feel like garbage. But Jesus Christ alone has the power to meet your needs. Satan and sin, the picture of leprosy, want to isolate you. They want to remove you. They want to get you as far away from God and God's people and your purpose in living as they possibly can. But Jesus Christ alone has the power to meet your needs. If you have a need today, let me just be real frank. You came to the right place. He's the power. Master, not boss, not slave owner, not one who can give me some money. No, the one who can meet my need. I'm thankful today from the bottom of my heart that every need I have, he can supply. Master, they weren't looking for instruction. They didn't say teacher. They were looking for healing. And notice what the Bible says. Master, verse number 13, 
Have mercy on us. Extend help. Spare us. Be gracious towards us. So get this in your mind. We don't know the village. We just know it's in, in that region of Galilee, Samaria, northern part of Israel. Jesus walks into a certain village. There's 10 lepers that are, that are either right outside the village or right inside the village, but they're a distance from anybody. And they see Jesus walking in. They're wearing black. Their lips are covered. And, and their, their clothes are torn. And they're obviously dirty. They're obviously in a, in a bad way, old folks would say. And they see Jesus walk in and they begin to elbow one another and then they begin to talk to one another. Is that Jesus? Is that, I don't know. I don't know. No, that's him. Somebody says, I saw him before I had leprosy. That's him. He's the one. He's the one. And so they, in unison, begin to cry out, Master, have mercy on us. And they begin to do it over and over and over and over and over. Over again. Oh, I love that. And Jesus in verse number 14 saw them. And it's so quick. He saw them. And he doesn't heal them immediately. Now get this in your mind. There's 10 here. 10 dudes in torn black clothes. Probably missing some fingers and toes. I wasn't planning on rhyming, but that's pretty good. Missing some fingers and toes. Not being crude or unkind. They look hideous to the world. They literally look hideous to the world. John and I, uh, John helps me do graphics for the sermon. And we were going to show some pictures of leprous people. Because we don't see that very often. And after looking for a few minutes, I said, you know what, JC, I just don't feel comfortable doing that this morning. Why? Because it's, it's, it's very emotionally taxing. And so I said, John, let's, let, let's, not, let's, not, let's not do that. So Jesus comes in and he sees these guys, 10 men, 10 men who are tore up. And they're crying out a desperate cry. Not just a little cry, not like mama take me to McDonald's kind of cry. They're, they're crying out a desperate cry. Have mercy on us. Look at verse number 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. He didn't immediately heal them. They had to obey the law. They had to go to the priest and the priest would certify their cleansing. That's the requirement of the Old Testament that the high, that not the high priest, but just a priest would certify. Is it growing? Is it shrinking? Are you cured? Are you not? All of these questions were answered by the priest in accordance with the Levitical law. And so Jesus says, first thing he says to them when they speak to them, he doesn't encourage them. He doesn't say anything. He just simply says to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Notice what he doesn't say. It speaks volumes. Go show yourself to the priest and along the way you'll be healed. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say go show yourself to the priest and as the priest is looking to you, you'll be healed. He doesn't say that. He commands, listen to me, he commands or demands, probably a better word, he demands that they go in faith. Go to the priest. Now the Bible doesn't tell us where along the journey they were healed. I don't know where they were healed. I don't think, and I can't be definitive here, but since it's speculative for all of us, I'm going to tell you what I think, and we're going to go with that this morning. Jesus says to them, go to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. And so they're in a village, and maybe the priest is in their village or a nearby village. Again, we're, we're not given insight into that. But they turn from Jesus, and they begin to walk. Now, some people think as soon as they turn, they were cleansed. I don't think that. Now, again, that might have happened. I'm just telling you what I think the way it works in my mind. My mind is, is that they walk and 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 they get all the way to the door of the priest's house. And in my mind, this conversation's going on. Man, we still got leprosy. What are we going to show ourselves to the priest for? And then there was some stronger brother in the group going, dude, I'm telling you, Jesus, I don't know if they said dude in Jesus' day, but probably. 
dude, I'm telling you, Jesus is the healer and he told us to do this. Let's just go all in for Christ. And there's a biblical principle about Christians encouraging Christians here. No, I said there's a biblical principle about Christians encouraging Christians here. And we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities or the weaknesses of those that are weak. We ought to help younger brothers or weaker brothers and sisters live for Christ. We're strong. We've seen God do a work. We need to encourage those that are weak. And there might have been a stronger uh, man in the group who's like, no, no, no. We're going to go all the way to the priest and it's all for one and one for all and we're all going in together. And in my mind, as they knocked on the priest's door or held the priest to come to the gate or whatever the case may be, just in my mind it works this way is that's when the cleansing happened. And can you imagine the transformation? Like, like you can see leprosy. How many of you ever had like a, a, a sore throat and then you take medicine and then you're like, oh, my throat doesn't hurt anymore. Well, when did that happen? Oh, I, I don't know when that happened. It happened on sometime in the last hour or so. You're like, oh, good. Praise God for Advil or Tylenol or whatever it is that you took. Hopefully not something bad. Because that could take it away too. Um, and it, but leprosy, I mean, you can see it. And they're healed. And they're cleansed. I wonder in my mind, I just wonder, I know the Bible doesn't give us insight into this, but I do have to think sometimes, because you got to have an active imagination when you read the Bible, it makes it a lot more fun. You don't need it, but it makes it a lot more fun. I wonder some people who maybe had had some fingers that had been uh, lopped off because of accidents, because they didn't feel anything, or, or hands, we have ample stories of people who, uh, leprous patients who would grab a hot pan that was extremely hot, and they would move it, and because they couldn't feel it, it would actually burn their hands off. I, I I wonder if when Jesus healed them, they literally are standing there and they're just watching those things be healed right in front of their face. There, no doubt the sores are being healed up. No doubt the, the wounds are being cleansed. No, no doubt the, the skin grows back like it did Naaman in the Old Testament as he dips in the Jordan River. I mean, no doubt there's some amazing things that are happening. And they show themselves to the priest. Now get this. The priest comes out. He's like, what is up? And he knows immediately who they are because they're wearing black garments that are torn. I mean, they, they totally, he totally knows who they are. He would have recognized them. He would have probably been the same man who who had told them they were leprous and he sees them and notice what this priest does as, as, as soon as he sees them. He sees them, he inspects them and he tells them, yep guys, you're clean. I mean, how cool is that? Now, now before you're like, oh, okay, I mean, that's, that, okay. I mean, that's kind of cool. Okay, let's illustrate it this way, all right? Let's illustrate it this way. You have cancer. You have stage four cancer. You have stage four cancer that has riddled your whole body with cancer. And you see Jesus coming and you cry out, Master, have mercy on us. And he says, go to the doctor and see where you're at. And you who couldn't walk are suddenly able to walk and you go into the doctor and, and you say, doctor, I just got to come and see. I think I'm cured of cancer. Jesus healed me. And the doctor would look at you like, come on, really? Yeah, I think Jesus healed me. And they begin to run cat, cat scans and PET scans and MRIs. And the doctor looks at one MRI and your body is riddled with cancer. And he looks at another MRI and you have the body of a 16-year-old that, that is no longer, ha, has any form of cancer at all. I mean, it's an amazing transformation in your life. It's a wonderful transformation in your life. That's the same place that these guys are. It's awesome. I, I think it's important to understand in verse number 14, when he says, go show yourself to the priest, that, that they had to take time to go do that. And, and they, they had to wait on the Lord's response. And, and it's a, a beautiful story of the healing nature. Of Christ. Well, this is a wonderful passage that we could just preach for an extended period of time, and I don't think it would ever get boring, at least not to me. 
But we learn four truths from this text about a thankful heart that we see in this passage of Scripture. And I'd like you to see them with me this morning. Well, why do we need help being thankful? Because we're not by nature a thankful person. We're not by nature thankful people. When we, listen, I've been in ministry 30 years. We have a daycare. Uh, we have church nurseries. We've had thousands of children come through our service on this property, other properties that we've had. We've had thousands of children come through this property. And we've never at the end of a church service or end of a day of daycare have had a one-year-old turn around and look at his teacher and say, teacher, I just want to thank you for today. You provided exceptional care. The way you changed my diaper, fantastic. Have never felt that in my entire life. I mean, it was amazing. Your feather-like touch just made me sleep like the baby that I am. You're wonderful. I really, really appreciate it. And by the way, the snacks and the motorboat sound as you were feeding me applesauce, it's just over the top. Tomorrow, let's do an airplane. But today, the motorboat was fantastic. Thank you for performing that. I really loved the food play interaction. It was fantastic. I mean, we've never had a kid say that. Your kids, when you've given them, if you have children, when, you, when they're one, two, three, four years old, they've, they've never come to you when you give them a cracker and just by themselves go, Mother dearest, thank you for the crackers today. They were really fresh. Thank you. Yesterday, those Ritz crackers, they were old. I didn't want to offend you, but today, fresh beyond compare. I mean, Mom, it was amazing. Thank you so much for being so kind. And by the way, Mom, thanks for doing your hair today. It looks fetching. You've never had a kid do that in your life. Matter of fact, you have to teach your children to say thank you. Good parents teach their kids to say thank you. Now I'm saying good parents teach their kids to say thank you. You say, well, when do you stop teaching them? I don't know, but somewhere after 27. And my mom, I'm 50, now I'm teaching my mom to say thank you. Mom, say thank you to me. I got that for you. <laughs> this is what she says now. You're just paying me back. I don't have to thank you for that. You are grouchy. We're not by nature thankful people. This is the week of Thanksgiving. We've got so much to thank God for. We've got so much to thank the Lord for. Notice this man in this text and the four truths that we learn. Number one, we learn in verse number 15 where the Bible says, and one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. We see number one that he was thankful for the need Jesus met in his life. Every one of the 10 that were healed should have turned back and thanked the Lord. They'd all been blessed by Christ. They had all recognized their need. They'd all shown humility. They'd all cried for mercy. They'd all uh, persevered. They'd all been through trials. They all believed and obeyed. They were patient. And they, they, when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, I mean, they were, they were all wonderfully humble on the front end. Their need had been met. They had been healed. Now, they now needed to turn back and show appreciation to the Lord. But only one of them did. And we learned that lesson. That he was thankful for the need Jesus met in his life. I want you to listen to me. Some of you grew up in church. And some of you have been in church a long time. You got saved as maybe a teenager or young adults. And you've been in church a long time. And when you come to church, church is just kind of a thing that you do. It's, it's, it's just kind of something that you do. You come because you come. And you're not really thankful for it. Because it's become the habit of your family. Well, why are you at church? I'm at church because mom and dad brought me today. And it's what my family does. And if you live in, this is a rule that's in my house. There's a rule that was in my dad's house. If you live in my house, you go to church. It's not an option. Well, I don't want to go to church. That's fine. You can move out while we're gone. My dad used to say that to me. He said, your parents like, that was tough love. No, it's just good parenting. It's just good parenting. My day wasn't an option. I didn't have to live at my parents' house. I was like, I was seven. And um, 
I'm kidding. I was 19. Was I, I was 19. You don't have to live here, son, but if you live here, you're going to church. And it's not an option. And sometimes you grow up in church and you just become accustomed to the goodness of Jesus Christ. You become accustomed to the mercy of the Lord. You become accustomed to the fact that he's a gracious, merciful Savior who performs miracles on a daily basis. And not just the miracle of salvation, but the miracle of sanctification and and any other number of miracles. And it's just so easy if we're not careful to become very accustomed to that. This man was thankful for the need Jesus met in his life. How many are thankful today for the reality that Jesus meets needs every day of your life. Oh, the grace that he gives us, the strength that he provides, the mercy that's extended, the joy that fills our soul, the companionship of the church, the fellowship of believers, the provision of food. Listen, more food will be thrown away probably at every table represented in this room than people will eat in Phnom Penh, Cambodia all this month. I have no doubt about that. I'll be in Cambodia next year in March. I have no doubt about that. I mean, we are a blessed people. I'm not talking about just financially. I'm not talking about just militarily. I'm not talking about just in our country that we, we think is going crazy and the rest of the world is still dying trying to get here. We've become accustomed to the goodness of God and we need a fresh anointing of the provision and kindness of Jesus who meets our needs all the time. Before you think I'm going crazy, where would your life be without him? What kind of needs would you have without him? Well, I'd still survive for a while. Leprosy patients, leprous people, they'll survive for a while. This dude was thankful for the need Jesus met in his life. Romans chapter 15, verse number six says that we may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians six twenty. for we are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips. Listen to this. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Leave that up. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Continually, the idea of that word is it's an active present tense word. We ought to always, and we're to always be in a state of, of offering praise to God. That is, in other words, the author of Hebrews clarifies it. It's the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Not with vain, pointless repetition, but genuinely the heart of praise and thanksgiving to God. He was thankful for the need Jesus met in his life. Number two, his thankfulness was immediate. Look at verse 15. And one of them, when he was healed, he didn't have to be reminded. No one had to coach him to be thankful. Every once in a while, as I'm mentoring young men, I'll tell them, now this is going to happen. Now, now, as this happens, you turn and say thank you at this exact point. Or for my daughters as they're preparing for graduation. Now, as you walk across the platform and you shake the the principal or the president's hand, uh, make sure at that point as they hand you the diploma to look in their eyes and say, thanks for all the work that you do. When you meet this person, a dignitary, and I'm teaching my kids, I'm coaching my kids, and I'm coaching young men and, and young ladies on when to be thankful. This dude didn't have to be coached. As soon as he was healed, he turned back. His thankfulness was born out of a heart of gratitude. He went to thank Jesus before he went home to see his family. 
The scripture doesn't say where the others went. It doesn't say. But I assume that because they hadn't seen their family for the entirety of their leprous condition, that they probably were healed and ran home to see their family. And by the way, that's a wonderful thing. It's a very good thing. I love family. It's a great thing. But this man, this Samaritan went to see Jesus. And he went to see Jesus right away. His gratitude towards Christ is seen in the fact that he is immediately returning to Christ, the one who had healed him. As soon as he was healed, he's he's confirmed healed. The priest confirms him. He turns back. He goes back to where he was. And notice, with a loud voice, he glorifies God. Or his thankfulness brought glory to God. He was so thankful for what God had done, he couldn't help but glorify or praise or honor. He literally shouted at the top of his lungs is the idea of the verse. With the loudest voice possible, he witnessed for God, Jesus, this is how it worked in my mind, you healed me and he's running to Jesus and he's declaring the goodness of God and the village people, not the 70s group, the people of the village are watching him as he makes his way to Jesus and he's glorifying and praising and glorifying and praising and glorifying and praising God. And and his thankfulness brings glory to God. One of the reasons that we sing at Canyon Ridge is to give glory to God. Matter of fact, the Bible commands at Colossians chapter 3, verse number 316, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. We sing to glorify the Lord. A Christian without a voice of song is a Christian that's really not glorifying the Lord in the way that God wants to be glorified. Christian who doesn't sing would be identified in this context with the nine. It's not bad that you go to see your family, but it's a lot better that you go to see Jesus. Thanksgiving is coming. Matter of fact, on Thursday, it's coming. Yesterday, my sister and brother-in-law had Debbie and I and a couple folks in the church over. And as a Chadwick family tradition... Uh, I don't know, remember when it started, my dad started it, but before we can eat, my dad always does stuff before we eat, (sighs) I don't know why, but before we could eat, um, we go around the table and say like two or three good things that have happened in our life, And and it was wonderful, I loved it, I loved it. Now, I don't always enjoy it with my dad, because he opens the Bible and he says, now turn with me if you would, as we read the Thanksgiving book called Leviticus. I just want turkey. I need tryptophan because I need to sleep through the rest of your message. And I'm teasing, obviously. But we, we went around and we said things that we're thankful for. And all of them are great. And people will say a lot of great things this week. They'll talk about family. They'll talk about health. They're thankful for their health, their life, their job, our country, friends. And all of those are wonderful things. And every one of them, don't get me wrong. But does your heart cry out in thankfulness to the God who saved you from your eternal sin? Saved you from a guaranteed destiny of hell for eternity? Does your heart cry out in appreciation and thanksgiving to the God who loved you so much that he sent his son from heaven to earth to die for your sin? Does your heart cry out with an overwhelming sense of humility and joy, humble joy, at the creator of the universe who created you, he loved you and you rejected him just like I did. And so he sent his son to die for your sin and his son who knew no sin, the Bible says, who had never sinned, had no concept of sin, literally became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Or are you going, I've heard that story so many times. Bro, it's not a story. Alice in Wonderland is a story. Jesus on the cross is a reality. 
Jesus paying the price for your sin is a reality. Jesus dying so that you might have life and life more abundantly is the glorious truth of the word of God. It's the central theme of the word of God. It's the scarlet thread that runs from page to page. I mean, it's Jesus and Jesus only. Does that not excite you? Bible says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, but we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, talking about saved people, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praise of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We should show forth the praises of of him, of God, who called us, brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. His thankfulness brought glory to God. Does your thankfulness glorify God? Tonight at Canyon is going to be an awesome service. We have opportunity at 5 o'clock to talk about some great things Jesus has done in your life to testify of the Lord. And will you go, oh, I don't really know, I mean, I'm saved, but I... Has you really done anything else? I mean, I got a family. I have a great job. I live in, a, but but I'm not a millionaire. So if you had a million dollars, would that make you thankful? Well, I'm I'm single though. I'm a millionaire, but I'm single. Okay, so if you're a married millionaire. Would that make you happy? Well, I'm a married millionaire, but I don't have any children. So if you're a married millionaire with 37 kids. Would you be happy? No, no, that's too many. Okay, a married millionaire with 12 kids. Still too many. <laughs> a married millionaire with one kid in a boarding school. Would you then be happy? Well, I would except it's raining outside. Okay, a married millionaire with one kid in a boarding school and it's sunny outside, but I'm white and I can't tan. Okay, a married millionaire, one kid in a boarding school, sunny outside and you can tan, but I'm hungry. A married millionaire, uh, boarding schooled kid, sunny outside, you can tan and you live near a taco truck. Well, I don't like tacos. Ah. You get the point? Ungrateful people find reasons to be ungrateful. The reason you're not thankful is not because God hasn't been good to you. The reason you're not thankful is you're a crotchety, grouchy, crummy, complaining kind of person. He said, well, I thought this was a Thanksgiving message. Be thankful I just spoke truth into your life. The reason you're not thankful is because you're a grouch. In case you're watching online. The reason you're not thankful is because you're a grouch. You find reasons not to be thankful. Gas prices are so high. You have a car. Be thankful. Well, I wish I had an electric car. Not if you're a man. Um, geez, electric car. Go putting along. There you go. By the way, our church is starting on Tuesday night, a Pansy Prius support group. Please show up. Only pink is allowed. So, now I'm totally teasing. If you have an electric vehicle, praise God for you. Um, I'm just being funny because we have some men in our church that have them and they think they're cool. And so, we're trying to socially shame them into getting a V8 because um, that's like a man car. Um, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. And now, see, you laughed and it made me lose my thought. No, we have plenty of reasons to be thankful. And in verse number 16, I've got to end. Verse number 16, and he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. This man is, again, this is how it works in my mind. Scripture doesn't give us clarity. So just work with me here a little bit. He comes running up to Jesus, glorifying God. And when he sees Jesus, he falls at his feet. And he begins to worship Jesus. What do you mean, worship Jesus? Well, the idea of falling at his feet and giving things, that's what worship really is. It was a recognition of his humility. It was a recognition of the power of God. Two things that are essential in worship. 
God, you are so great. I am so small. Matter of fact, the word wor worship is a Greek word, proskuneo, and it defines the, or the idea is defined as a person bowing themselves and blowing kisses to a superior or a dog licking the master's hand. I have a beautiful little dog that the church got me. I love her so much. I've got an old crouchety dog too that someone gave us. And he's a wonderful blessing to Debbie. <laughs> but my little dog Molly Joy and we'll be playing and every once in a while she gets a little too rambunctious. She's a puppy. She, she thinks she's in charge. And dad has to remind her who the authority is. And so she gets reprimanded as every good dog owner does so that there's good boundaries for her and she feels much safer in that. And you can't do this with a cat, by the way. You yell at a cat, they try to kill you. <laughs> if you're a guest here at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church, we accept anyone but cat people. So, no, I'm totally kidding. We do, we do. I just don't know why anybody would like a cat. Having an animal in your house, they can't wait for you to die. Um, but my dog, whenever she gets reprimanded, you know what she does? She rolls over on her back and she tries to lick my hand. You know what she's doing? In a true sense of the word, it's worship, it's proskuneo. Here's what she's saying. She calls me dad. <laughs> dad, you're the superior and I'm inferior. By the way, that's a true statement. She can't water herself. She can't feed herself. She can't do anything on her own. She's essentially a moving worthless blob. I'm just being honest. Oh, she, there's working dogs. There's working dogs. Mine's not one of them. Mine high fives rats when they walk by. Hey, Chuck, going to work today? Yeah, go eat dad's electrical stuff. That'll be fine. No problem. No, she doesn't do anything. But when she's in trouble, she rolls over and she begins to lick my hand. And your dogs probably do too. Your cats, they get in trouble. They just go up in the room and plot how to kill you. <sighs> but your dogs roll over and they submit humbly, which is a picture of the worship we're supposed to bring to Christ. a picture of the worship we're supposed to bring to Christ. That's what this man did. Today in the average church, you have one or two groups of people. And in this room, we have one or two groups of people. We have people who came here today for information. To them, the Christian life is basically a trivia game or a college test. And so they come to church because they want to learn more and more and more and more and more about God. We call these people engineers. They just want to learn more. Just, just I need to learn one more thing. Just one more thing. If I can learn one more thing, just one more thing. I got to learn. Okay, there's stuff I don't know. I got to learn, 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 learn. And by the way, that's a wonderful thing. But that's a very weak and shallow and um, sanitized relationship with God where all that the relationship is is about learning. And then there's other people that came today and everything is about an emotional relationship. I've got to have an emotional experience. When I come to church, I need to have some feeling of sadness or happiness. I need to be able to cry. I need, to, I need the pastor to tell really sad stories or really happy stories. I need to laugh. I need to cry. I need to have some feeling that washes over me while I'm there. And if some feeling washes over me while I'm there, then I'll be happy. But if it doesn't, it was kind of a bad day in church. So you, so you have the hyper-emotional and you have the hyper intellectual but here's what true worship is John chapter 4 verse number 24 God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit relationally truth intellectually spirit relationally truth intellectually this man knew who Jesus was, truth. Worship Jesus for who he was, relationship. 
You know why we're thankful? We're thankful because he worshiped Jesus. And if you look down at the end of the text, verse number 19, notice what you see here. And he said unto him, Jesus talking to the guy again, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now, there's a lot of debate as to when this person became, this man became a follower of Jesus Christ or a Christian, or we would say the phrase got saved. Saved is a Bible word, meaning that he was on his way to hell and now he's on his way to heaven because he believes that Jesus Christ alone can forgive sin. I use the word alone can forgive sin. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Let me say it again. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Your work, your effort, your giving, your money, all your good things, none of them do anything to forgive sin. Only Jesus forgives sin. And this man became a Christian. But notice he comes back and he worships Jesus. At the very least, this is what we know. We know that his assurance of salvation was settled there because Jesus tells him that. And we look at, look, 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 look. Such a wonderful truth. His gratitude brought about a greater understanding of his assurance of salvation and his cleansing. That's why Jesus said, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I wonder today what you might be missing because of a lack of gratitude in your life. A thankful heart. A thankful heart. Do you have one? Well, I need, then you don't have one. Well, no, then you don't have one. Here's what a thankful heart says. God, you have been so good to me. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I know I need that heart, Pastor. Then why don't you ask God for the grace to have that? God, give me the grace to have a thankful heart. Don't beat yourself up over it. Nobody's trying to beat you up. We're just trying to draw you into Jesus. And as you tie into Jesus and say, Lord, would you give me a thankful heart? Can I promise you that he'll give you a thankful heart? He'll help you. His grace is sufficient to meet your need. If you've got a crummy, cold, callous, non-caring, ungrateful heart, if you admit that to him, like, Jesus, i got a cold, callous, unkind, unforgiving, nasty, dirty heart, would you give me a thankful heart? I guarantee you he'll do it. It's a guarantee. I guarantee you 100%. If you pray that prayer in sincerity, you might have to pray that prayer a lot because your heart might be really cold. But if you pray it, he'll give it. And if you're a Christian here today, Thanksgiving's coming. We need to have a thankful heart. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you this. The only way you'll have a true thankful heart is to have a personal relationship with Christ. We've shared the gospel several times through this message. We're going to give you an opportunity right now as we stand in just a moment to come and talk to somebody that, that can show you from the Bible if you have questions how heaven can be your home. Or you can pray right there in your seat today. You can pray a prayer like this, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And the best I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to come into my heart and to be my Savior. I don't bring anything to the table, Jesus. You bring everything, and I trust you and you alone to save me. If you're sincere in the fact that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, you pray a prayer similar to that, Jesus promises that he will receive you. Jesus promises that he will save your soul from an eternity in hell. It's an absolute guarantee. And then you'll be like the leprous dude who runs back to Jesus and worships him because you can't worship Jesus if you don't know him as your Savior. Trust Jesus today. Father, bless our time in the world. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.